I mean, I guess there was the announcement of like how they're doing bands now. I don't know even. Did you hear about any of that? Uh, it's pretty much just that like once a year they do a, a big band announcement and then there's like a three week period after each set release where they can like ban something if it looks like it's a, a big problem. Yeah, and also there's a ban list announcement coming up soon. Yeah. Yeah, 529. Is that for standard? Standard only. Standard Standard only. Okay. I think that's the week of Dallas, right? Or that's the week leading up to Dallas? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, good thing it's standard only because, yeah, uh, Dallas is the weekend after that. Yeah, if it was Pioneer, it would be a little bit of an upheaval. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'd kind of love it a little bit. I, I would be interested in adapting if just like fable disappears from pioneer i guess we just like all switch to mono green why would fable disappear from pioneer <laughs> i don't it's really goodly yeah i know but like i feel like pioneer can handle it pioneer can mostly handle it i guess like thought sees is the best card in pioneer but like fable is definitely the best red card by you know a large margin yeah it's it's really good i don't I, I like how red in pioneer is just played because it has fable of the mirror breaker and that's kind of it like mono red just doesn't exist anymore barely at all yeah i mean blood tithe harvester is good enough for you know like blood tithe harvester and fable is good enough to make rectos want to be rectos yeah but you you don't see these decks like fires invention or right and if to light's probably fine like any any bring to light stuff exists without Veil of the Mirror Breaker, but mm-hmm. it's certainly a lot worse. Because even though Reflection's like garbage, the, the Goblin Shaman token's like so good. Right, and even the, though it's... The hand filtering. Like, yes, the hand filtering is good, and it's also like two bodies, and just like in those games where you're playing this really long thing where you have dangerous stuff in your hand and your opponent is like holding up counter spells and you're just like plinking away for damage, it just like is on board. Yeah, Fable is unbelievably good. Oh, did you see the Death Shadow deck also? That this is not Pioneer. This is modern. Yeah, this is Sultai that played Invasion of Ikoria. Yes, and it has like <laughs> I that deck I saw like I saw Nasif playing that some. It did not look good to me. I and the invasion also did not look good to me. So I left I I was left pretty confused by that whole situation. So it did win the modern challenge on mm-hmm. Sunday, Saturday. It won, it won the modern challenge. Yeah. And I know X File was the one who played it, who is a prolific brewer. Like, he doesn't play magic unless he can brew something mm-hmm. that he wants to play. So it doesn't surprise me that he, that's what he brought to, to bear for this event. And it's neat. Like, you get the little traverse synergy with the battle and the dryad over and the street. Yeah, and your and all Tarmogoyfs get extra big because there's a battle in the graveyard sometimes. I, yeah, like, yeah. I understand. I mean, they do have to kill Zalortha before you <laughs> actually get the battle in the graveyard. But well, it's not or, hard because it can be fatal pushed yeah. and prismatic, I guess. Or it gets thought seized out of your hand or something like that. I don't know. There's not a shot. The, the cute thing is it can summon Grist. Like, if you Invasion of Incoria for five, you can get a Grist. And Grist can mill a battle into your graveyard for your Tarmogoyfs. Oh, yeah. The synergy is just all coming together. Mm-hmm. I think it's an adorable deck. It is really uh, cute. I don't... It's like one of those decks I could see, you know, you just run hot and you win. And people have no idea what you're doing and you, your synergies are, like, pretty okay. 
and then you're done with the you're done with the deck it's 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 over like streamers will play it because it's novel but it's not gonna ever perform again that's kind of how i feel about it no but like it's a nice contribution to the culture when you take a brand new card make a cool looking deck win a challenge and then a bunch of streamers like have to play it the next week like that's fine that's a a solid accomplishment it's good marketing yeah (laughs) well i had a rant but I'm I'm over it. I kind of just want to record the podcast now. <laughs> no, we de- we need the rant because I didn't do a good job of making notes for today. So <laughs> this is all pre-show. The people don't even know when the show begins. It's all I, the same thing. I w- I wanted to talk about the commander decks because I'm probably the person who has looked the most at all the commander cards with zero intention to play a game of commander right you're, you're the person with the largest ratio of like looking at deck and like likelihood to play any matches with the commander decks yeah i'm, I'm like never gonna play with these commander decks and maybe there's like you know a few people in legacy and vintage just like pouring over these decks as they come up be like all right what's busted with yagmont's will or whatever sure <laughs> Like, where's uh, Seasoned Dungeoneer? Like, how, how do we break that thing? Oh, we just put it into play. We did it. <laughs> but other than that, uh-huh. I hate how they do Commander decks. Okay. So Explain. Because I have not been paying this close attention, so I just don't really have opinions. Uh, and that's not to say I hate Commander itself or that they're even doing decks. I, I like the new content. Like, I, I look at all the cards, remember? So what they used to do is you know in, in 2014 they did the first commander decks with the mimeoplasma and all that all those cool three color things mm-hmm. and then they're like oh these are really popular we're just going to do these every year but they skipped 2015 because they didn't realize how popular it was going to be sure so for a while they just did one set of five decks per year with it on a different theme commander 2015 2016 17 18 and then they started pairing the year's commander decks with sets yeah so for instance commander 2020 i don't remember when they i don't remember the naming convention of these that was a Coria themed so what they did with the five decks that came out in 2020 the only five decks for the year is that they just had them all be a Coria themed like the soul one was a mutate deck the jeskai one was a cycling deck so on like you you were playing a Coria commander for mm-hmm. that year and they did the same thing with strixhaven uh, the following year, in 2021. You had the five Strixhaven decks, and that was the only one for the year. And then after that, the year following, they just started putting Commander decks in every set. Yeah. So I think it started in Forgotten Realms. So they just did, you know, here's a couple of decks, like two or something, maybe three, for Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. Here's one for Innistrad. Here's one for the second Innistrad. And, and every set has a couple does seem like a lot to have them for both of the Innistrad sets. Yeah, and it's also kind of frustrating because I, I like the ideas on the surface because I'm going to go back to Akoria just for an example. Basically, what they did for the Akoria one was, you know, the main set's main mechanics were like companions, mutate, cycling, mm-hmm. three-color stuff. Yeah, like, and there are a bunch of cool mutate. Uh, the only ones I know are that a bunch of cool mutate cards came out of the commander decks. There are only f- four comm- mutate cards in the commander deck because there's one for each of the Sultai colors. There's a green one, a blue one, a black one, mm-hmm. and then there's Oat Tree Me, which is the 
the mutate tribal yeah. legend header. But they're Who's cool. Those those cards cool. are are real cool. Except the one that doesn't do anything, right? But the other ones are cool. Uh, I mean, one of them steals artifacts. Right, so yes. It, it's either unplayable or completely oppressive, depending on what kind of format you're putting it in. <laughs> yes, but the other ones are sweet. Yeah, the other ones are sweet. Uh, so one of the things I liked about the, the Quarry Commander decks was that they linked the themes of the set to the commander decks, right? Like if you were playing Zoltai Commander, it was a mutate deck. It just expanded on, on the mutate stuff. Sure. Uh, which was really cool. And it felt like a natural, like a way that they started out doing the, like this paired with this set. Uh, it was really weird to do it with the cycling deck. And the Mardu deck was just human tribal, which is fine. Like that, that was a theme in Aquaria. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other two were garbage. It was like teamer nothing. <laughs> and... Uh, Abzan counters because like the flying vigilance counter stuff was all new in Aquaria. Mm. Uh, garbage. Yeah, not not great for Commander. But that, that's fine. Not every deck needs to be a winner. What I don't like is the following year in the Trixhaven when they did the Lorehold deck. Mm-hmm. So I think the Lorehold deck in Commander is one of the best Commander precons. Like I, I purchased it. It's really good. Mm-hmm. This is I have not played a game of Commander with it, mind you, but I did purchase the deck. Yes. <laughs> For cube card purposes. Yes. Because the, the red-white theme in the Commander set for Lorehold was artifacts. Like, it was an artifact theme deck. Uh, which, if you remember Lorehold in Strixhaven, the set proper, certainly did not have that theme. It just was completely unrelated. Yes, it was all... yeah. No, I, I remember that as like it just had nothing to do with the lore hole cards in the set. It was just completely different stuff. And a lot of it was like way cooler stuff that just wasn't reflected by the cards in the main set. It was so it was equally as flavorful because they're archaeologists. That's like lore whole deal. That's the flavor of that school. Mm-hmm. I think it's what it's called. Campus, whatever. They're, they're archaeologists. They're like uncovering history. So like an artifact-based commander deck makes a lot of sense for them flavorfully. And the cards were really cool and it's a good space for red and white. Yeah. And when I looked at that, I'm like, oh, why aren't we doing this in the main set? It just makes no sense. And that's why I don't like the commander precons now for every set. Because they've done a good job at like, you know, the Crimson Vow one has a Vampire's deck. And the Brothers War one has an Urza deck and a Mishra deck. Mm-hmm. And the Kamigawa one has like a vehicle deck. An unplayable red green auras deck and whatever. This is all from memory. I don't remember exactly. <laughs> but they tie it mechanically to the set, which is super cool because they're not gonna have, you know, infinite space to do generic three color legends forever. That's what but you they, think. Well, if you're Watsy, you'd way rather, and you're designing at least two commander sets every set. Every, uh, sorry, Commander decks every set. Mm-hmm. You're like just gonna take the low hanging fruit of okay, this year's mechanic is incubate. Let's have an incubate deck. Yeah, you know, and an incubate commander. Yeah, and that way, if people want more incubate in their casual games, not you know, these cards aren't legal in constructed formats, <laughs> less powerful than Legacy. You could just like pick up more incubate cards from the commander set mm-hmm. if incubates your thing, and I think that's a good thing to do. But one of the problems I have is that they save a lot of the cool cards for the commander decks, which are perfectly reasonable to put in the set. And they're just not legal anywhere. Yeah. I hate that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, stuff that 
I mean, it's not like this is a brand new problem. Like, during a lot of spoiler seasons, we've had a card come out and be like, oh, that's neat. Oh, no, that's the wrong set symbol. Like, what was the what was the, the Jund team up legend? It was. Uh, yes, it was the slime foot and Slobat. Is that the one? It's slime foot and squee, right? It looks slime sick, foot and squee. sick yeah, as sorry. hell. Wrong goblin. Black, red, green for 3-3. Whenever it ETBs or attacks, you get a 1-1 Saproling, and then one black, red, green, sacrifice a Saproling, return Slimefoot and Squee, and up to one other target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Activate only as a sorcery. It does feel, like, very pushed for, like, a standard level card, but it would make you play Junt. Well, I don't know. This card is sick, and I want, like, I would love to have a place to play it, right? No, it's super pushed for, uh, like, a standard playable card, but... I mean, you make the activation costs five mana or six mana. It's not that mm-hmm. bad. It's not going to hurt commander that much. Yeah. And you can play it in standard. I think that's cool. There's like a, a removal spell I was talking to you about because you mentioned how much you hate reading council's judgment in cube, which I agree with. Like that card is one white, white exile permanent of your choice. But the actual text of the card is like, all right, first off. You were voted to Congress. Congratulations. <laughs> now, get, get I ready. There's a bill ballot. on the table. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, when people draft, like, when I cube with people for the first time and I have council, uh, it's not called council's judgment. What is it called? Will of the council? No, will of the council is the mechanic. Council's judgment is the card, okay. right? Sorry. Yeah, I, I get them confused, but whatever. It, have... it is funny that the name of that card is like so close to the name of the mechanic. Council judgments in the cube, and they read the card for the first time. It's the first time they've ever seen it, mm-hmm. and they read it the first time. Then they're like, "I don't understand what just happened." I'm gonna read it again. All right, someone just explain this card to me, or they just pass it, even yeah. though it's like very good. It's just like it's a vindicate. I'm so sorry. And then the one that like really gets me is Coercive Portal because it's just four mana, draw a card each turn. But there's like all of this text on it and it includes the text of like destroy all non-land permanents, but that's completely irrelevant to the function of the card. And it's just so egregious because it's it's the only four mana artifact that just draws a card every turn without a downside on it. And so it's just in all of the cubes forever. Yeah. Well, until the One Ring comes out and people are like, all right, we're tired of reading Coercive Portal, so the One Ring's in the cube now. Yeah, that's true. Which I fully expect to happen to many cubes. Mm-hmm. But there's like a, an incubate removal spell in this commander set in March of the Machine that's just one white, white, instant, exile target, non-land permanent, its controller incubates X and X its mana value. That's like a good removal spell, but it's pretty tame for standard comparison like they you do get a creature out of it oh yeah i'm like not really i wouldn't want to put that in my cube deck because like you use it and kill a five drop and then they get a five five is not that good right pay two mana to get a five drop that's fine you know uh but it's like pretty flexible so you could see yourself kind of including it in standard maybe mm-hmm. if there was a lot of hard to kill permanents yeah because it does hit anything it gets enchantments artifacts whatever yeah yeah uh, but this card is just locked behind Commander, where it's like middling at best because it's a single target removal spell. Right. Yeah, where like the drawback isn't that you're giving them an incubate thing, is that you spent a whole card on one third of your opponents on one of their permanents. Yeah, which I guess is necessary in CEDH context. I don't know. The For You tab on Twitter keeps recommending me all these unhinged Commander <laughs> threads. Oh my god. It's beautiful. It's incredible. Do you know what a mana bully is, Lee? Have you ever been mana bullied? I refuse to learn what a mana bully is. But I I assumed it was like 
you know, uh, no LD, no counters type of person's term no for like when somebody uses a wasteland on them, like you're mana bullying me, but it's it goes so much deeper than that. Yeah, the the, the weird thing about I assume it's CEDH. I don't know. I don't. I never actually read these threads to a conclusion. It was just... CEDH. It was it was a a tournament. These threads are always so long, and the people writing them always speak as if they're at the the position of supreme authority and like know what they're talking about and also assume that everybody who could possibly be reading it only plays the exact format that they play and like the everybody's magic experience is based in these like identical assumptions yeah it's wild i don't it's my so one of my favorite threads recently was the guy who posted the legendary artifacts from eldraine like Embercleave, what, Great Magic Edge, Mirror and such? Magic Mirror. I like how you went to the two playable ones and I immediately went to Magic yeah, Mirror. Yeah, that's, <laughs> this is just how different we are. But so he posted them and was like, just something about like how wild it is that like Wizards printed only one like good one and the rest are like completely unplayable. And then everybody's like, which one are you talking? Like, you know, Embercleave is like really good in like every other format except Commander. And then he kept posting just an image in response to everybody that was like, I mean, you know, like these cards are relevant in other places, especially Embercleave. He just kept posting like, don't make me tap the sign. And the sign was like the Simpsons meme with like, this is a commander only Twitter account. And it's like, wow. but other people like cards exist for multiple purposes, bro. Wait, isn't isn't like Cauldron of Eternity fine for commander? I, like, that seems like a card that would be good in commander. I don't know. Maybe not CEDH, but you know like embercleave dominated standard for, for like years and it's just bizarre to be like i'm a commander only account and also nobody else is allowed to have uses for card I, it's so weird man twitter magic twitter just as a whole leads to some completely unhinged interactions yeah but some days you know someone we, we get a uh March of the Machine top eight for the Pro Tour and everyone is very lovely. So there's balance. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. That's that's my little rant about Commander. I just want the cards to be playable in some fashion. Also, it has Aftermath has this too. Something I've noticed looking at like literally every Commander card ever. They started doing this thing a little while ago where they're just like want to print middling creatures, but they can't. They just can't print anything that costs two or less as a creature. Because it just gets outstatted by everything. Mm-hmm. So what they've started doing is printing utility creatures as three drops, but they're always three threes for explicitly two C. Interesting. Like dig site engineer Lelia, which is a two two, but becomes a three three immediately. Mm-hmm. And when I looked at a bunch of the cards from Aftermath, like Nissa, the animist one, yeah. I'm like, oh, this is clearly designed for Commander because it's a two C three three utility <laughs> card. <laughs> like this is their mode it's actually kind of i've seen it see some play in modern it's like kind of sick so yeah it's fine i did not think it was as good as it's currently performing for sure it's just a a little baby omnath and omnath is so good that a little baby omnath is like kind of tempting it's kind of the whole elemental incarnations exist yeah this is kind of deal yes i mean (laughs) But, you know, Omnath wouldn't be that playable without Solitude existing, right? So Yeah, I don't know. Probably not. I don't think so. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we're approaching it from the perspective of, like, 
these cards exist and I don't get to play with them. And it's like kind of a bummer because some of them are cool, but there's nothing for me to do with them. And also I, I still maintain that designing cards for commander is bad for commander. And I get that people will buy them because like the, you know, the cards that are designed for commander look strong and exciting and stuff. But I think generally these like on rails commander designs and these cards that outmode all of magic's history for multiplayer purposes really have like made the format worse and like not what it was kind of supposed to be which is like you can put the cards you like together into a deck and try to match up their themes and have fun with it and it's like well there's way better versions of all of those cards that were printed specifically for this multiplayer format uh so i agree with you but there's there's a big but Mm -hmm. the commander decks are really good Mm -hmm. like they are just kind of the perfect starter product if you ignore that commander is impossible in the worst format you should play if you're like literally a new player Mm -hmm. like if you're a casual that knows magic and you're like kind of new the commander decks are probably just the best product you can buy because you get a deck that's relatively complete and you can play them against each other and you don't need like any other pieces and it's a whole game yeah i I do get that and that that is great so when they they've been talking about standard a bunch uh, on, they is Watsy now. <laughs> Watsy has been talking a bunch about standard. Yeah, pronouns, unbelievable. <laughs> Watsy's been talking a bunch about standard and just saying how they can make it more accessible, more, that's why they did the three-year standard and all that stuff. And one of the things that they were answering questions about was what are the entry-level products you can do for standard? And they said that they wanted to do pre-constructed decks, and they have in the past, like the Challenger standard decks. Mm-hmm. The problem was they didn't sell at all they just didn't sell very well Hmm. Uh, and the reason for that is in part uh there's just no new content yeah and there are not actual standard decks you look at a deck and it's like oh this doesn't have the lands that i need to actually play this in a tournament and it's like i don't know do i really need to buy this well if only new players are buying it it's not going to be a successful product because there's just aren't that many people mm-hmm. entering for any specific reason to just buy standard cards at any time. Sure. Like that's true for commander too. Like if only new players bought the commander precons, it would not be a good product. No, but I think it's the established players that are buying like all four commander decks each time a set comes out. Yeah. Because there's new cards in them. There's a lot yeah. of new cards in them. Yeah. And that's something that i think would be cool if i mean i'm not saying they make standard playable like constructed premier pre-cons but if they would want to devote resources into making decks people can play and buy with new content in them i'd rather them have like new stuff in those decks than like print another aftermath because aftermath sucks yeah if if yeah i mean that would be kind of cool if that's how they get new cards in is like we want to add some cards to standard after the set release. Here are the like standard aftermath decks or whatever. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. I probably would be, I mean, it is annoying getting the cards. I like, I know that now aftermath cards finally exist on magic online and it's, you know, people are just opening these five card packs of, of aftermath mm-hmm. cards and then slowly obnixilis's tr- trickle into the system i just want to buy like uh, a karn for my cube mm-hmm. uh, it's not a very good card but it has some cool text on it and it's an interesting like build around mm-hmm. 
this is the Karn that's like the biggest power stone you've ever seen. Yes. Basically, a big, big, a big blink moth urn, if you even know what that card is. Yes, Karn Legacy Reforged. Uh, and it's that card is like not playable in any format that's real. And it's still $20. <laughs> that's unfortunate. And that sucks. March of the Machines has such a bad pricing model. It, it looks like really it has come down a bit, but I don't know if... The, I mean, it's come down a bit on TCG Player, which I don't condone buying from, so uh, I don't know how much it costs other places. Looks like it's like $12 now. Yeah. I don't know. I, I clicked on that little TCG Player thing and it filtered something, so I have no idea. <laughs> but the like unplayable mythics should sit around the... you know five dollar range at most did you know that karn legacy reforged is legal in oathbreaker now we just have that on scryfall at all times that cards are legal in oathbreaker Oathbreaker is it's the the new format that they introduced a couple months ago or that they officially recognized is they watsy or is they scryfall watsy no watsy officially recognized oathbreaker as a format and so now yeah, we have a to, bandit restricted I need to list look up what Oathbreaker is. Oathbreaker. I have no idea what it is. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't have like an actual. Is this a multiplayer problem. format? It's a casual format. It may be a multiplayer format. It's like double commander. You get a commander and a signature spell, and also your commander okay. can I'm be gonna, a planeswalker. I'm going to read this. Or is a planeswalker? Oathbreaker is a multiplayer format where each player builds around their favorite planeswalker. Okay, has to be a planeswalker. Each, yeah, each player's deck consists of 60 total cards as follows. One Oathbreaker. <laughs> parentheses, a planeswalker card. Okay. One signature spell. Parentheses. An instant or sorcery card. <laughs> and fifty-eight main deck cards. Every card in a player's deck, including a signature spell, must match the color identity of their commander or their oathbreaker. Sorry. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. How could they keep this garbage rule in place for another format? Yeah, you still can't do hybrids. Um in- incredible. <laughs> why <laughs> i really it's a singleton format i really like the idea of uh you can just play ren and six in crop rotation as your oathbreaker in the signature spell so your oathbreaker works identical to commander you can like pay two mana for it each time it's been cast uh if your oathbreaker is on the battlefield under your control you can cast your signature spell and it, it has the same commander rules okay so it's just commander and you get a spell which seems really broken, but I I, I assume people must enjoy Isn't it. Isn't this just the problem with Brawl, where you're like a 60-card deck? Isn't that why they extended Brawl out? I don't know what's happening. Don't ask me what's happening with Brawl. Come on. We're, we're the casual let's, podcast let's now. Let's be serious like 20 here. minutes talking about Commander variants. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we haven't even gotten to the episode intro yet. Mm-mm. We'll never get to it. I'm just going to start talking about the standard changes. Uh, all right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 293 of the MTG Grygast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We're your hosts. I'm Chris Castro-Ravel. With me is Lee McLeod. Hey, Lee. Oh, hi, hi, Chris. I just got here. I haven't been talking for a while. Yeah, How are you doing? We're just starting this episode. <laughs> oh, we're, we're not doing a great job. Look, in our defense, our recording got a little uh, 
off to a rocky start. Yeah, I got delayed a little bit. I started my last match with Jarvis a little late, and I I missed a Discord message from him earlier on, or we would have started playing earlier. But it was it was a good stream. We learned some stuff. I magma opused him a couple of times. It was good stuff. It's funny because I've I've seen you stream with Jarvis. I think twice that I've actually been able to watch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is kind of I'm kind of, kind of counting this one. And every time it's just him playing a red black deck against you and just you magma opusing him into the graveyard. <laughs> yeah, I think that this was a worse deck against getting magma opused. So we kind of doubled down on that happening to him this time. I, I offered, I, I told him like, hey, you know, the goal was to figure out if Rakdos Sacrifice was playable and how much better Obnexilis made it. And I was just like, I can play Rakdos, I can play Mono Green if you want to like you know, just like test against those. And he was like, nah, just play, just play creativity. We'll see how it does there. It didn't do and it the best. did not do well. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the final count was, but Jarvis seemed to be struggling in the, the game I watched. Well, I think it's one of those matchups where like game one is very hard for them because they just don't have any way of interacting with magma opus happening. And then games two and three, like they have good cards. They fix this stuff, but they're starting like in the hole and that's not a recipe for a good matchup yeah i that was the thing when so this i'd known this principle for a while this like kind of dredge principle like if your game one is so good your games two and three cannot be that great and you can still have a very good record yeah like a very good expected record in a tournament uh i learned that with dredge and it was very obvious when i was playing kci where you know at the time, literally every card in everyone's sideboard was good against you. Like everyone just kept pointing to their stony silence, rest in peace, right? Whatever. But if you're winning ninety like percent of, of your game ones, then yeah, and you just win like eighty-five plus percent of your game ones with people with those cards in their sideboard because their decks aren't built to interact with that in game one. Then mm-hmm. they board in all their sideboard cards, and you also have a sideboard, and you know what they're gonna do. Yeah. So even if you go to like a 35% or 40% matchup, which is very difficult in Magic, but even if you're that low, you're still really favored to win the match. Yeah. I mean, winning two 60, you know, you're 60% to win game two and three, but you have to win both. That means you're 36% to win the match. So that's not good. Yeah. And conversely, when you're playing the dredge deck and you lose game one, that's that's huge. <laughs> that yeah. is not good for you. <laughs> Because it does not get better for you post board. Yep. That's that's why I like the combo decks in Pioneer. I don't know if I'm segueing to Pioneer or just saying this, but I, that is why I like the combo decks in Pioneer right now. And by combo decks, game... we're talking Lotus Field and I guess like Worm creativity. No, any any of the creativity, anything with like free win percentage matchup. Okay. Like I like uh, Grease Fang, Lotus Field. I do like Grease Fang. Mm-hmm. Neoform's fine. Uh, it, just anything with not a conventional mid-range plan like mono green sometimes <laughs> yeah i so i tend to not categorize neoform in that same thing and i think it may be just because like i've played against it too much as mono green and i've also played with it like you know a little bit but like you do your thing you combo off like i had multiple games playing and then against, you keep playing the game you just keep that, right that's you, you keep going for too long after that i, I had multiple games yeah, that's my opponent actually why i don't like neoform turn three neoformed on the play and then a couple turns later like they were dead and that that's not good 
yeah i i don't particularly like neoform especially compared to all the other decks i named i think it's just weaker but the the other decks i do think are all very strong yeah because i like the game one you're a favorite here uh even if people know exactly what you're doing you're you're just mostly a favorite in game ones and right. then game two and three you do whatever you need to do this has been the philosophy like underlying my uh consistently playing living end is just like you got a lot of 80 plus percent game one matchups and even though people bring in hate like they gotta draw their hate in both of the post board games and that's kind of the entire philosophy of decks like that yeah ironically that particular deck kept getting main deck hate set up against it right that's when you <laughs> stop playing the deck is when when there's yeah. just like chalices and teferis all over the place in game ones so and endurances like, in the main deck yeah and you're like oh okay no we're, we're off we can, this for we can do something different yeah but no one is you know playing damping sphere or whatever in their main deck and pioneer this just not a thing you can do no yeah everybody has a bad lotus field matchup game one except for i guess mono white it's probably spirits yeah yeah that's true but these are decks that like I'm unwilling to consider for the tournament. So mono white spirits. Yeah. Though I have heard mono white is much better at gold fishing your opponent now with the new Dranith or copper coat. Copper outcast, coat. I think, Vanguard, I think. Yeah. Or is it outcast? It copper outcast. coat, whatever. I, that sounds right. It's got to be an outcast, right? Because Dranith is dead. Like Dranith got destroyed. Uh, It's copper coat Vanguard. Dadgum. Okay. Coppercoat Vanguard. Coppercoat Outcast is part of Luca's name. So that's Oh, that's what it's from. Okay. Okay. Yeah, no. Uh Coppercoat Vanguard is quite good at making Mono White good at doing the thing it was supposed to be good at doing. So whenever you're trying to goldfish, whenever <laughs> right. you're trying to beat up Lotusfield, like it it like focuses you on that. It makes it no better against Rakdos, right? Because it gets stomped, it gets fatal pushed. Like it gives your other guys ward, but I'm gonna kill the two mana creature before I kill anything else. So like that's yeah, what the removal the spell is targeting. Like I, I do think it makes Monoway a lot better goldfishing, mm-hmm. uh, especially against something like Lotus Field, where you just like don't have much battlefield presence. Yeah, but it, it effectively uh, gives you more Thalia's lieutenants in that matchup, and that's good. Yeah. And and then I don't think the postboard games it does like it's better than nothing, but it's not gonna fix I think what's favored Lotus Field postboard mm. a lot of the time. Sure. But I do I think you're quite ahead game one in that you know, you're just oh, yeah, faster. For sure. So I have a, a weird anecdote against Mono White. Like literally the last time I played against Mono White, uh we go to game three and both mulligan to four. Nice. Beautiful. And I'm on I'm on the draw because I won game two. So I know my opponent has Mulligan to four, and my four cards that I'm considering, it's a bad, it's a bad seven cards I'm looking at. Like I could go to three. <laughs> uh, but my four is Green Source, Arbor uh Arboreal Grazer, Arboreal Grazer something. It wasn't a land. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I think this, you know, on a four card hand on the draw, we can buy some time with these Arboreal Grazers. What's he gonna do? <laughs> And I won that game because oh I had God. two Warboyer Grazers, and we just like whiffed for several turns, both of us. But I drew out of it better. <laughs> I played an incredibly chaotic match against Lotus Field as like my second match on stream today. Uh, my opponent, I think, was new to the deck, and then like their Masterminds acquisition was in their graveyard, and then they just couldn't figure out how to kill me after that. Like they had an omniscience in play for a bunch of turns and never hit 
like Balaged recovery in order to to do it. And I, I think that they really messed up on their big spells that they cast with their omniscience. They're, they're sequencing. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 then I you know, lost game two. And then game three I won based on turn one, like I tried a, a, a different board plan, which was keeping in only one gear hulk and bringing in Holebreaker Horror and just deciding, like, I'm a creativity deck. I'm creativitying into Holebreaker Horror. Like, this is my plan this game. And I won based off of, like, looking at my opening hand and deciding to not play the Spike Field Hazard as a land because I was like, I think I may need like seven turns down the line a one mana spell that i can play with hullbreaker horror <laughs> in play and then i like got a hullbreaker horror in play like the last turn that like i could have before my opponent was about to end me past the turn my opponent untaps with lotus field and thespian stage copying lotus field cast a pour over the pages i return it to their hand they think for a minute and then they just concede the game so a fun match I felt really good about not playing that spike field hazard as a land. So I don't remember if I told you this, but I'll repeat it for the podcast if I did. I've been watching Kenny test a lot for the the RC, mm-hmm. playing just a medley of weird decks. But <laughs> of course, when he plays against Lotus Field, he he's like X and O against Lotus Field mm-hmm. against decks that could never beat Lotus Field. <laughs> uh, and I've watched several of these matches. And every time he plays against someone in a league playing Lotus Field, they just don't play well. Their their game ones are fine, and then they sideboard just the worst possible they can. And I've seen it every single time. And like keep sevens that they can't actually function function with. Uh huh. Like this deck is not difficult. You just mulligan to a playable hand and sideboard well, and you're good to go. But no one is doing it it's so confusing I've, this is like tens of matches so my opponent in this league uh was 3-0 because i'm running mtg bot so i can see that so i know that they won three matches with the deck and then they played completely bizarrely with omniscience in play and casting their ultimatum and just getting things that didn't kill me and i'm you know my opponent did the thing and i almost scooped and then i was like the only reason i kept going and let them keep going is because i was like i would like to see if you're on chandra or what and then the mastermind acquisition ended up in the graveyard and i was kind of like well i mean that's your win condition but you know i've come this far we'll just like let it keep going and then at some point just realized like and and like anybody probably would have just scooped way earlier in the sequence because it's like here's emergent ultimate like can't beat the emergent ultimatum they obviously have a path to victory from here but then they couldn't figure it out so that may be a thing that like happened in some of their games before is their opponent just scooped when actually they didn't really know how to deal lethal with what they had. Yeah, there's no excuse to just like, I guess there's an excuse. Like if you don't care and you've got tickets to ruin or whatever, but you can just goldfish this like combo kill. It's yeah. not hard. You just put in, I don't know, five minutes of time to figure out lines and you're good to go. Like you don't really need to think in the games. <laughs> It's not where you should be devoting most of your brain power. Yeah. You, you, and granted, when sorry, when I when I play, it's in paper. I don't, I don't really play online. So when I make my Lotus Field opponents play through their combo, I'm actually very comfortable conceding if they just explain to me how they're going to kill me because mm-hmm. I can follow everything they're doing. 
but no one has tried that yet. They've all just like played through it, and I let them play through it because there's a good chance they mess up. Yeah. And again, I lose all my mirrors, so they haven't yet in a way that is <laughs> impactful. But you know, there's a chance. Yeah. Yeah, and also my opponent in that game, like I had F6 because I was just like, yeah, whatever, we're done. But at some point they put uh, Omniscience on the stack with only three mana left and I had Make Disappear up in a creature in play. So if I had just like, there's no, there was no reason that they needed to put themselves in that position, but they had also put themselves in a position where like Make Disappear beat them there, which I was not expecting to have happen uh so i yeah, just f6 like straight through more than that much mana <laughs> yeah exactly so i i let it go but yeah I, I mean keep keep an eye out and like see if they like forget to play around something and you can get them with it if you have it up or maybe they just mess things up obviously in paper clock may matter more but that's that's up to your discretion and what's important in the match yeah i i think if you're playing a paper tournament or like the rc or something First of all, your pawn's not is much less likely to mess up. Yeah, but if you just stop them in the middle of their like after they ultimate them and they get the the cards that they're supposed to get, you just say, "All right, just explain to me how you're killing me. Show me the cards, and we're good to go." And that's a way to save time without having them go through the combo. As long as they can explain it competently, I would believe that they could do it competently. Yeah. If they can't explain it, you make them play through it. Yeah, and then they might just like and dead end themselves and pass the turn at some point. Right. And if you're the one playing Lotus Field, spend 10 minutes goldfishing the combo kills. Yeah. Like, do the basic one, then put one of the cards that you weren't supposed to draw in your hand and try to figure out how you went from there. Like, that's what I should have done when I picked up the deck. I mean, I didn't. I just kind of figured it out on the fly. <laughs> so I'm a bad example. But it's, it's like very easy to put effort into just like, what do I do if I draw this card? What do I do if I draw this card? And then doing it while you're not in the pressure of a tournament. So you know how to do it when you are. Yeah. Yep. That makes sense. Well, should we actually talk about some pioneer results? We pretty much only have like the one challenge this weekend for yeah, stuff to look the, at. This, the Saturday challenge crashed. There just wasn't one. Mm. Moto had a bunch of problems on Saturday because uh, I was watching the modern challenge. I was watching Spike play through that with Harden's kills. There, by the way, side note, there were three Harden Scales decks in this challenge. Yeah, copy. dude. Extra it's copies wild. of Harden Scales is really good. I know. It's so good. I'm excited. Moto was having issues on Saturday, and the Pioneer Challenge just like stalled or crashed or something, and it just didn't happen. Hmm. Yep. That's disappointing. So there's only one challenge this week, <laughs> and it was won by Claudio playing an absolute pile of cards. Have you seen this before? Are you looking at this for the I'm, first time? I'm right looking now? at this now. Yeah, five color Niv to light. Get get Niv oh, This is a Yorion deck. God, and I, I need to actually read Niv Mizzet Supreme, Wooberg. So uh, five, here's, five, here's the <laughs> flying hexproof from monocolored. Each instant and sorcery card in your graveyard that's exactly two colors has jump start. All right. Yeah, the joke is you can like recast Bring Delight or whatever. Yeah. But honestly, the good part about this card is that it finishes the game. Like it is a five-five flyer that is hard to deal with in Pioneer. Yeah. Like Blacksburg Monocolored means that the only thing that kills this is like Dreadpoor mm -hmm. or a big Polarkinos. Yeah. 
That's kind of sick. It is a big, gigantic value thing to bring to light for. Yeah, I mean, this is certainly... God, look at these lands. I So I can't play this deck because I just like would never want to write down the deck list. Because that just sounds yeah, horrible. One Blood Crypt, one Dragon Skull Summit, one Drowned Catacomb, one Glacial Fortress. <laughs> you just print it out, right? You just copy-paste, print it out. 22 of lands in there. I don't even want to like spend the time to pull 22 different lands out of my land binder. Like, come on. <laughs> but I, I I suppose that's why he played it online. You can play this online, but what a what a miserable experience to put this deck together in paper. To be fair, I think the like of the Bring to Light decks I've seen or the Niv uh Reborn, Niv is a Reborn decks I've seen. This is just in the class of them. I don't I don't think it's like strictly better or worse or anything. It just has more cards <laughs> and you're allowed to play Yorion, which is neat. I think that probably gives you a leg up in the, you know, the leyline binding mirrors. Yeah, for sure. Especially since you have so much more threats in your deck than them. Mm -hmm. Like if you can strip them of Elish Norn or if they're not playing Niv Mizzet. Yeah, uh, they've only got like a couple threats, like an Elishnor and a Tibble, and whatever. Like, there's not that much. Maybe a Kenrith. Mm -hmm. I, I think, which I, I think more people should play Kenrith. I've been liking that card. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the Fire deck does have its own companion in Karuga, which is really really powerful in that deck. Although, after more thought and some playtime with that deck. You know, we saw it and we were like, yeah, it's a Kuruga deck. It's doing the thing. It's stronger now. Like Heliod is a huge deal in the deck because it lets you bridge up from like Fable into your powerful fives. And so like the deck is better than it used to be. And and, and I started playing it and I played it against Philip on Rakdos and Rakdos just literally can't beat it. It's, it's a horrific matchup for Rakdos because it's not just like if Enigmatic Incarnation hits the table, they can never win. But it's also like any of your creatures that you draw are massive value things that take forever for them to get through. And then eventually you draw Enigmatic Incarnation. But I played a league and in my first four matches, I didn't play against Rakdos and I didn't play against Monogreen and just got absolutely annihilated by everything that I played against. When I've played against this deck, their hands have been They've, they've gone like Leyline Binding, Leyline Binding, Fable, Enigmatic Incarnation. It's just like, okay, 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 settle down, settle down, settle down. Uh, but then I played it, and my hands were not like that, and it felt horrible. So it's a Karuga deck. Yeah. That is one of the things I don't like about any of the five-color decks, is that you're like pretty well-situated to play against more mid-rangey decks. Mm-hmm. But when you play against, you know, the infamous duo blue-white control in Lotus Field, you're just, like, not winning. And there's not a lot you can do about it except for, like, sit there and hope your opponent messes up a bunch. Mm -hmm. Not a great plan day two of regionals, so. Yeah, it's a terrible plan. I mean, they all kind of share the specific place in the metagame, which is they're very good against Rakdos. They have a decent plan against Mono Green. And then you're hoping... I, the thing that I don't like about this deck is that you need your sideboard cards to contribute to your bad matchups. And when you're an 80 card deck, they start not contributing as much. Yeah, that's fair. Though, you know, in Claudio's case, you just put casualties of war in your deck and you're like, yeah, we, we don't really need a sideboard slot anyway. <laughs> casualties <laughs> of war? I guess, man. I don't know. You can't even bring to life for that one. How do you? With six mana two black black green green in pioneer in this economy 
Casualties of War to me is the platonic ideal of like this is how I beat the mid range mirror. I'm gonna like this is the card you hold up. I'm gonna niv misery. It emanates the light into <laughs> Casualties of War, and they won't and be able recast to do that. it with the visit supreme. Oh my god, they're dead. That's so powerful. And that's the dream they have, and they put it in their sideboard. They're like, "All right, let's go. Gonna go, gonna be good today." <laughs> I'll kill a fable and a reckoner, bankbuster and a shieldred, and it'll be fantastic. A beautiful or a castle? Maybe they're maybe they're Liliana. Yeah. Whew, and we'll flash it back next turn. God. Probably kill a land, and it'll be great. How do you beat that? I mean, honestly, you're you're not. But I mean, you're <laughs> not you if it, it happens. But you are just trying to like get them dead with Shieldred before that happens. But yes, I mean, this, I, this deck certainly has a good Rakdos matchup, regardless of whether or not you draw casualties of war. I I also do like these five color decks because I think they are powerful decks. Like you're not gonna play against a random homebrew that you've never played against in your life and be like, my cards hmm, aren't this good person might you. get me. Yeah. Yeah, that's like not gonna happen. You're just gonna beat everyone playing random stuff, right. and you're gonna beat up on the most popular deck in the format, and you'll lose to people who you know you really can't interact with, and that sucks. But that's that's the format. And you'll get disdainful, stroked, and like question all your decisions. And yeah. But can I talk about a fringe deck before we go through the rest of the results? Yeah, of course. Because in 18th place, Combo Man. <laughs> Combo has... Man playing some Rona. Played Rona to a 6-1 finish, Ooh. which is very good. Yeah, that is good. And is playing Nashi Moon's Legacy, which is a card I mentioned last episode that I wanted to try in this deck. Yeah. But the rest of the deck is, whew, it is a brew. We've got Kenan, Bonder Prodigy. We've got the Reality Chip. We've got Karn, the Great Creator, and Renan, Realmbreaker. I mean, just... I'm certainly more into this than the other Rona decks. I, you know... The other Rona decks, you read through them and you're like, oh, wow, all of these cards are dedicated to like doing one very disruptable thing that falls apart at the drop of a yeah, hat. I I do not like the Sultai, I'm a Fatal Push, um, mm-hmm. Thoughtseize, tr- Treasure Cruise deck. And my game plan with all these powerful interactive cards is to assemble an extremely fragile four-card combo, right. when you, none of which do anything on their own. And, and if that these cards all like work together, what you could actually do is just like interact, interact, interact. Treasure Cruise, like play a Shieldred, is just like a yeah, exactly. Thing. It's so much better. Yeah. <laughs> like what? if you if you just play Rona and Shieldred and drop the Retraction Helixes and the Mox Ambers, and like you've got a stew going, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but this is a lot more what it's about. Like you're just trying to combo. You got Lenor Elves and the Kennens and all your stuff and four retraction helix, two dig through time. Yeah, and then your I'm... your Tyvars are better because you have elves in your deck too. And you know, there's just mm-hmm. like a little bit more going on. I actually do really like the reality chip with uh I, I've seen this before, the reality chip in the Rona deck. Mm-hmm. It, it it can be really potent with Brona on the battlefield. Or just like if you have mana elves like this deck does, you can just equip it to what reconfigure it to whatever. Yeah, <laughs> and you start going through your deck at a pretty good rate. But uh, the cards are wild in this deck to me. It seems so out of place. Yeah, I mean, but I you gotta think find this deck a to do with six elves makes a decent amount of mana, right? Because like 
not like mono green, but you do have six elves, you have some Kinnons, you have Mox Ambers, and a lot of your cards just kind of like are cheap cards that go into play, and then you have all this mana, and Karn is, you know, an X spell. It's also, I believe, the win condition. <laughs> yeah. Because it, it gets uh, Aetherflux Reservoir out of the sideboard. Yeah. <laughs> Like, Rona Mox Amber Retraction Elix does not win by itself. No, you need something to do with that mana. Yeah. Which I guess is... Oh, oh, that's what the Reality Trip is for, too. Because you can... If you, you know, have those cards, the Tyvar Retraction Helix, Rona, Amber, mm-hmm. you can Reality Chip to find a Karn and cast it. Mm-hmm. Like, because you, you can't cast Karn from your graveyard. Yeah. I don't know. This deck is sweet. And it, it certainly... You know, your opponent disrupts you and then you just like cast a Karn on turn three and you go get, uh, you know, a Seeker's Chariot or whatever. You're much more likely to win a game that way than your opponent disrupts your Yorona combo and all you have in your deck are Mox Ambers. And... Yeah, I actually really like Ren and Realmbreaker and Nashi as well. Like as these like three drops that add to the board and do stuff. Like they're, they're pretty cool. Yeah, Ren and Realmbreaker I need to be convinced on, but... I agree. I'll leave it there. Yeah, sure. No, but this is sweet. I, I'm i way more into this than any of the other Rona lists that I've seen, for sure. Again, I just, I want more iteration. Let's, let's keep going. Yeah, and playing elves in the deck definitely seems like a step in the right direction. Much better than the previous version I saw with Kennen, which was uh, Springleaf Drum and the creature that Oh, just like something, putting as many cards in your deck as possible that don't work if somebody hits you with a Thoughtseize. Yeah. What's the what's the Brothers War Common called? The Sitinal? Sitinal. The thing that... Uh, yeah, it just ta- it's a green mana 1-1 one, one that taps its Sitinal self Stalwart. and a creature. Yeah, yeah Sitinal Stalwart. And an artif- or an artifact you control to add a, a generic mana. No, a mana of any color. I'm oh, sorry, a mana of any color. Sorry. It was very very key to the archetype based around that card in Brothers War. Yeah, but anyway, I'm glad this deck's not playing a bunch of Kennen combo cards, because you don't always have Kennen, and if your opponent kills Kennen, you know, you're just like looking at you know, a pile of one mana cards that add mana, and you're just like, yeah. oh, whoops. <laughs> Shoot. Alright, we, we don't have to talk about this deck. I just thought it was interesting, and then people are iterating on this deck, or at least Combo Man yeah. is iterating on this well deck. Well done, Combo Man. Mm-hmm. Keep it up. All right, so to the challenge results, once again, Rakdos midrange, 12 of the top 32 decks, half, fully half of the top eight. I I mean, online is more focused than paper will be. This is more Rakdos dense than regionals will be, but this is still like pretty extraordinary representation. If you don't, I I, I just don't understand how people are showing up with blue white control and just like they're just accepting their fate of playing against Rakdos all day but have a plan against Rakdos and understand the matchup and you know one of the things that works for people is just be actively favored against Rakdos this is how five color Niv-Mizzet bring to light won the (laughs) tournament is because half of the field is Rakdos yeah that's not a bad strategy Especially online, like if everyone's showing up with Rakdos, mm-hmm. I'm gonna show up with an 80 card pile that will just not lose to it. Yeah, I have so my creativity build right now. I have cut a creativity. I've cut a Prismari command, which makes me much like 
reasonably less of a like creativity combo deck um but i'm playing two behold the multiverse just because like you get thought seized so much in this format and this is kind of one of the best cards available against like i'm getting thought seized a lot and it has helped it's been very good so i <clears throat> one of the strategies i've often employed against uh Rakdos is just keeping a more wider range of hands yes because <laughs> you assume they have a thought seize uh you definitely don't want to be going to five or something to get thought seized and just they have so much time even if you're like ostensibly favored the the london mulligan does not really exist in the Rakdos matchup like the the like yeah i i will throw back any hand that's not like great is not how it works in that matchup you, you simply cannot mulligan functional hands functional sevens against rectos if you have three lands and some spells in your hand you keep i almost only mulligan hands that are like one landers or uh, like i've kept six landers i'm like yeah you know if your deck has a way to use that mana to like get a bunch of card advantage and and come back into it then making lands is making land jobs is one of the better ways to play against Rakdos. Especially if you're one of those decks that they board in duress against as well. Yes. All of a sudden there's just like so many thought seizes. I, I played a match against uh Max where I had to mulligan and then I mulligan to five because I just had like two completely unplayable hands. So I just put my two spells back and then he thought seized me and was like, uh I have a duress in my hand too. And it was just like he had mulligan to five as well. So it was great. And your hand was just five lands. Yeah, my hand was just five lands. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Anyway, you're at 18. I won that game. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was great. I, I am a big proponent of mulliganing, especially you know, post-London mulligan, where it's so good to mulligan. But against decks that they are literally trying to thought seize you every time yeah. they like keep a hand, the card is actually relatively important. It, it's actually one of the reasons that I'm grateful that the regionals is open deckless because the gap between the matchups where like you must mulligan and the matchups where you cannot mulligan like it's very real like you keep any hand that's reasonably functional against rakdos against lotus field you mulligan to five like get your cards yeah. like don't a hand that just like makes a fable on turn three or whatever is not going to do it yeah you'll have a like reflection by the time you die on turn five yeah we did it <laughs> I actually like I've come around I mean I was never against open deck lists per se mm -hmm. but I I enjoy the what they add to a tournament more I think I may I, I was thinking about whether because I'm playing make disappears in the deck just kind of because that's what everybody is playing in the deck and I'm wondering I'm starting to wonder if sensor might actually be good in that slot and because it's open deck list, I'm wondering if like playing a split and making it awkward for my opponent to like sequence around might be something I want to try. So I'm going to try out a couple of sensors and, and see how that performs. There have been plenty of spots where like I want to counter a spell and they have one mana up, though. So, uh, you know, make disappear has been good, certainly. And there have also been spots where having an extra token in play and then make disappear being a real counter spell is important. But sometimes you draw multiple make disappears and you're just like, I would really love to get rid of one of these, please. <laughs> so and and I think the open deck lists when you're just like, do I have sensor? Do I have make disappear is like uh, it's like kind of fun. I would have to think through the implications of that if I were 
like playing against a sensor make disappear split mm -hmm. like am i how often am i gonna be afforded the luxury of playing around make disappear if i know my opponent is trying to build up a creativity turn you know mm -hmm. that like that's something to think about my my intuition is that make disappear is better in that slot but it's not you know it's worth trying. I, I think it probably is, and it's it's likely that I just end up sticking on Make Disappear, but it's close enough that I'm going to try it. Let's. I want to talk about third place. You know, we talked about Rakdos. It's most of the top eight. Mm -hmm. Third place, Sneaks despite somehow most of the in. tournament being Rakdos, is blue-white control. Yeah. Oft maligned by our good CCR, blue-white control. Well, I just don't want to play a deck that sucks against Rakdos. Hey, 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 this is a field full of Rakdos. We've got a, a 7 0 uh -huh. in the Swiss. Yep. Undefeated. Pretty good. There's got to be something. Like, you're not just dead the way that, you know, five color in Lotus Field, you feel just dead against Lotus Field. No, and I, I think the, this deck is certainly built in such a way that it. You, you build yourself so that you draw out of getting thought seized. And, like, right. this deck has four memory deluge in it. So you just have to make your mm -hmm. land drops and you will get there eventually. Uh, I So I did listen to Nathan Stoyer's podcast uh, as per your recommendation. Mm -hmm. And he did say something I very much agreed with uh -huh. uh, about Rakdos and Blue Eye Control. Talking about these separately, he never connected this. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't like playing Rakdos because he feels like you're not actually that great against anything like you're good against a lot of things and some stuff you're you're bad against mm -hmm. but you're not great against anything right uh and then when he was talking about blue white control he was talking about like what matchups do you actually want to play against you, you've got like matchups you do want to play against and then you're just like not that favored against rectos but rectos is not that favored against you either mm -hmm. is what he said yeah i'm like if that's the case, the light control can't be that bad. Yeah, I I think that that is probably true. It's just so hard for me to believe that a like four absorb three Dovin's veto deck is like <laughs> not going to just have hands that your opponent's cards just walk all over. You know, I I think blue white is one of those decks where you feel the room out. Mm -hmm. Like if the the metagame is trending in such a direction where everyone knows Rakdos is really good. It's played the most in this tournament. People are going to bring a bunch of five-color decks because those are good against Rakdos. And you cream the five-color decks. Blue-white control is very good against them. It is, yeah. Uh, and then you're you're at a spot in the game where you can like compete against other decks. You don't really want to play against Rakdos, but you're not like a dog to them. But you are crushing the deck that's trying to beat Rakdos. Mm-hmm. I think that's a fine place to be. Yeah. And, and well, so interestingly, like this build, I think has given up a lot of equity in the mono green matchup because it's not a lay down arms deck. And yeah, so I did notice that. it's much easier. Like it's very like mono green slips stuff through. Like you can't get everything out of mono green. And this deck's playing like three temporary lockdown, which like gets the elves and the wolf low havens but if they put something into play something real into play then this is not an answer to that and so like cavalier in play is a big problem uh yeah i i will note probably one of the reasons for this deck's success 
is likely that there are only three Corona Green decks in the challenge. Yeah. And so I think that this, the, this deck is built well for the metagame that showed up. You know, it, it's like I'm gonna I'm gonna play as many memory deluges, wandering emperors, and teferis as I can stuff in my deck. So as long as I make my land drops against Rakdos and like survive, then I'll be okay, even though they've like thought seized and go blanked me. And then yeah, not as much green as as we've seen in the past for sure. Uh, I mean, do you want to talk about green? Has anything changed about your opinion? It is technically like the next deck down in the top eight. I mean, it's fine. I, you know, I've played it. I like have played against spirits and played Pelucanos and this matchup that was bad is now like this Pelucanos is in play and now they're sacrificing their uh, curious obsession and sometimes is very silly you don't have much you can do with green. You're really dependent on your draws, your opponent's draws, and what they have shown up with in their sideboard. And sometimes things go badly for you, and there's you don't get to sideboard at all. And then you get Ether Gusted out of the game, and you didn't have anything you could do about that. So it's it's very just dependent on what your opponents show up with that weekend and what your draw steps are like. I don't want to play it. It's not fun. Yeah. I I think Mono Green is a good deck. Yes. I, I think that's like really hard to dispute. Yes, I agree. But I also think it is the worst kind of deck to exist, especially in a format like Pioneer, mm-hmm. where it's like too good to completely discount and you can like play it in any weekend and expect to do reasonably okay. But your agency is so low. Your decisions are like the same every game. You never sideboard. You just like don't interact in any you mulligan and then you just like robot out your cards basically the mulligan decisions are very important but then it it's kind of this deck has fewer decisions than modern tron that's pathetic uh yeah maybe (laughs) (laughs) the all of the weight is on your mulligan decision right like that's the main thing that you do each game is figure out if you can keep your hand or not Uh, yeah and then, like, if you card in minus, you can get the wrong card. But, like, look at the board. It's usually pretty simple. Yeah. But look, look at the board and look at your available mana. Like, get something. Which is, like, 40. Well, sometimes it's <laughs> low. And, and that's fun. Like, getting the Seeker's Chariot to cast next turn is, like, you know. Th- those games are can be very fun. But a lot of the games are not so much. Yeah, that, that's why i do not like monogreen mm-hmm. and i don't think it's bad i think it's a good deck i just i hate it <laughs> yeah i don't i wish it just wasn't part of the format no same and i you know it's also very boring to play against which oh is yeah maybe a little bias but it's just it's no i i've been pretty anti monogreen uh, just for a while and this is I, I, I feel like almost every match that I've played over the past like week or so, like I've just gotten thought seized twice in like the majority of the games that I've played, which is its own kind of unfun, but I still like have more hate in my heart for mono green as a deck. Can't it just be more fun? I don't know. <laughs> How did we get to this point? I, I don't know. I hate devotion. I blame devotion for this. <laughs> sure. <laughs> it's my least favorite mechanic of all time. Mm. That's right, banding lovers. I'm on your side. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm not like deep enough on game d- design concepts to just be to to understand like why this is so much 
I mean, I guess a lot of ramp decks to some extent are just not that cool. But then there are decks like Amulet that are just like nothing but decision nexuses. (laughs) So one of the things I actually really like about a normal ramp deck, like I'm going to think of the last one I can even remotely remember people playing in standard, which was the Akoria era. I don't remember what it's called. Teamer, the Teamer ultimatum. Mm Mm-hmm. Like just like put a bunch of permanents into play, and one of those permanents was Ugin, and some of them were yeah. the dragon that like did damage to you and things entered the battlefield. So for the most part, I think ramp decks are also equally boring, where you do nothing the first few turns except for develop your mana, and then you put a giant haymaker into play. The thing I like about ramp decks from like a design or gameplay perspective is that your goal when you're playing those decks is explicitly to do a giant powerful thing. Mm -hmm. And so doing that giant powerful thing is the fun experience. Like that's what you get to do. Right. You do it. And most of these effects do not end the game immediately. You like do your thing and then you get to keep playing with them. Mm -hmm. Like you cast a Tali or breach or you put your Ugin into play and you just like play with it for several turns. Mm -hmm. You, You go off. Like, that seems fine to me. The reason I do not like monogreen. You never actually do a big, cool thing. Like, you, just, you don't do anything. You do more and more. <laughs> you just and keep more doing the, the same thing things. every yeah. turn. No, that's. You, the... like, never get past that ramp point where you're like, all right, I'm done ramping. Now it's time for the big stuff. It's just like, all right, here's Pelucranos number three. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, okay, this is the same thing you've done the previous right. four just, turns. You just draw cards and, like, you draw more cards, you make more mana, you put more four fours and five sixes into play. And, and eventually and your eventually opponent dies. You it's not a bad deck, yeah. but it's not. Right, right, right. I'm not, this isn't a deck. criticism yeah. of the power level of the deck. It's just that like the thing that we're doing is just putting so many trolls into play that either our opponent gives up or we make 20 mana and Karn is now lethal in a boring way. Yeah, right. Yeah. You, you do the same rote thing with Karn, which I'm actually fine with. Like, if every if this game was designed to end with some convoluted 30-mana Karn combo with explaining how the Chain Veil works, I would be okay with that. But a majority of the games, you're just, like, doing the same thing every single turn. Yeah, you don't actually know how to have to know how to combo with the deck, really. <laughs> like, Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's my little, I guess, game design nitpick about this style of deck. The combo is also very, very easy now. Like, you should learn the... If, if you do want to play green, like, you should learn the combo thresholds and stuff. But basically, like, if you can get the Chain Veil into play and then, like, you still have two mana and then you can, like, Chain Veil and nick those, like, then you probably can do something. And then, like, act, you don't even have to actually kill them. Like, a lot of times on Magic Online, like, I've, I've gotten it so get to a point where you are mana positive while doing the combo and then you just stone brain them like three times and then they can never win after that and you can pass the turn it actually only takes like two minutes of clock to get there yeah so yeah just take their things and then they're done so if you do want to play mono green or you think that it's best positioned or whatever like don't be intimidated by the combo like it's so unimportant to being good at the deck you actually just want to work on your mulliganing and your early turn sequencing and that's the vast 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 majority of the game which brings us in the standings Mm -hmm. to spirits blue white spirits yes this is actually just almost mono blue spirits splashing for Spellqueller and sideboard cards. Hey, we got the Empyrean Eagle out of the deck finally. Finally. 
I mean, yeah, we had to put in Shacklegeist back in because these Pelucronosis yeah, are a This is the problem. only way to beat Pelucronosis. <laughs> <laughs> we just have to tap it and attack through it. Like, that is the way. Oh, the Gatherer is auto automatically putting up the, like, Magical Girl Spectral Sailor now. So that's the one that you get as the preview. Oh, I'm on Goldfish, so I don't have the anime <laughs> settings hooked up. I don't know if that's my win or loss. <laughs> 24 creatures, 6 4 ofs. Four curious obsessions, ten instants, uh, lofty denials, geist light snares, slip out the back, spell pierce. Yep, that's a deck. I mean, do you think? Would you ever consider playing spirits? No, at an RC. I don't. Why? I don't like playing disruptive tribal aggro decks. I don't think that. I think that the hassle cards comes crumbling down too hard. I don't want to play curious obsession against fatal push or fiery impulse decks i don't want to be playing a blue creature deck that then gets mystical disputed uh there's just like a lot of like points of like i hate this experience that i'm having right now that are going would make a tournament playing this deck miserable for me i don't i don't i'm not saying that this deck is bad i'm just saying that there are those like points of deep deep sadness that are going to hit playing this deck <laughs> that i can't mentally cope with piloting this deck in a long tournament i will say this deck is bad. okay uh and the reason for that is i think you're just asking way too much of it like your your cards are not that strong the the one drop into curious obsession into hold up counter spell is really good it's a like a good nut drop mm -hmm. But if you're on the draw and you play a one drop and you're playing play blood type harvester, and you're like, all right, curious obsession, have a counter spell, and they just have like two removal spells with their three mana. Mm -hmm. what, what what's the plan now? Like, do you slow roll your cards so that you like play a two drop instead? Like, have have space to play spell pierce and rattle chains to combat their stuff while they just have a three two in play and they're just gonna attack you. Yeah, and you're like, all right. Well, like what you're just asking too much like you, you these cards are not always going to come up perfectly together no and i mean i will say i've been playing creativity i played against spirits a number of times creativity is a relatively clunky version of the like blue control deck there's a lot of awkward expensive spells there's a lot of stuff you got to manage uh and th there are definitely ways that you can just be like oh no like i have so many expensive sorceries and gear hulks in my hand and how do i ever get leverage these cards before i'm dead to damage and i just still have been shellacking spirits i don't think i've lost to it yet i just like have fiery impulse and that card is so good against them and you just find a spot like they only have so many counter spells uh when they are trying to curious obsession early usually they leave themselves vulnerable so you manage to get it off the table and then at some point any time that they show any weakness and then you just like do a strong thing that puts stuff on the board and i mean for me like that is a magma opus and they never beat a resolved magma opus of course but the stuff that happens in this format is just too powerful to let any of it slip through when these are your creatures and these creatures are better than rogues creatures at least but we learned you know we were talking about this with rogues like the stuff that happens that slips through is just so strong you can't keep up with it and a lot of that it remains true for for spirits like you know i don't even have mystical dispute in my sideboard in creativity but i just have been managing to trade cards with them enough that i can slam something in and they can't deal with it yeah i mean this player did go 7-0 and i would honestly love to ask them like 
why they played spirits, what they played against, like what their thoughts are about the deck, mm-hmm. like that sort of thing. But I, I just don't have access to this person. Yeah. So I, I think my intuition is like they played well and ran hot. And I get a field full of Rakdos, which is like impressive in itself. Mm-hmm. But I would not recommend anyone play spirits. Yeah. Yep. I think I'm on the same page. And then kind of the rest of this challenge is all the same stuff that we've been talking about all before. Like there's an there's that Verona deck, there's the Angels deck, there's a couple more five color decks, a bunch of Rakdos. Uh, there's a Rakdos Goblins deck, which I have to click on. <laughs> <laughs> so this is for Fanatical Firebrand, for Legion Loyalist, for Battlecry Goblin, just like Goblin Aggro with Touch of Moon Glove. Which is a target creature you control gets plus one, so death touch until end of turn. Whenever a creature dealt damage by this creature dies this turn, because its controller loses two life. Oh my so the God. most bizarre burn spell you've ever seen. Well, it's a combo with Goblin Chain Whirler, right? So. Oh God, are we doing that still? Come on. I mean. I mean that is cute, but. I mean it's just massacre worm, right? You just like kill your opponent when you do that. So yes, but like, why is that in the main deck? Like, this is the main deck with Legion Loyalist and Battlecry Goblin. Yeah, because you're 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 set up against decks that aren't blocking you because you do a lot of damage with your you know haste goblins and stuff. If they are blocking you, bam, Plague Wind, Plague Wind plus uh, <laughs> Searing Wind. It's both. It's both. It's the black and the red wind at the same time. <laughs> yeah searing wind and play yeah. wow it's really powerful no, it's two nine mana spells i regret that uh, searing wind is 10 mana is it not no they're all nine mana searing wind just costs eight really? in a red where plague wind costs seven black black oh that's what i'm thinking of okay eight in a red mm. is a really funny mana cost it's almost dragon storm it's just really weird to have that much mana and it's like yeah you only need one red you could splash this in your deck if you wanted yeah just like dragon storm let's right? splash nine mana ten damage prophecy is <laughs> one of the worst sets of all time yeah but it didn't have the avatar cycle which people loved avatar of woe is like really cool. avatar of woe remains one of my favorite cards i have i've run the well on this uh this pioneer challenge. this one single pioneer challenge we had like there's a mono white deck i think mono white is also bad mm-hmm. even with copper coat vanguard yeah i mean it does its thing it's it's better at doing the thing than it was before and it received no help in the matchups where it struggles that's just you get you play mono white if you want to yeah and i do not recommend that you play it uh, though i have heard that jarena uh, what's her name it's not jarena kudra but it's jarena something the black white one the yeah the black white one in aftermath mm-hmm. that is like a protection against wrath and it's a graveyard hate card yeah i have heard that card is quite good uh, and it's not just I protection don't... against wrath too right it gives hexproof and indestructible so it's a good lead into like an adeline like what did, they can't get rid of your adeline if you yeah. curve into it that way yeah I, jarena dauntless general that's the name of the card i i'm into that card for sure i don't know how you do uh, like the mana base and make it a good deck and like losing mute like the muta vaults in mono white are very good the aganjas are very good it is neat that you get dire tactics that's the the two mana exile creature mm-hmm. it, it's a human tribal card so if you have a human it doesn't do anything bad to you but if you don't it damages you yeah you lose like five life or something 
What is it? You lose life equal to that creature's toughness. Oh, okay. okay. So if you're killing Shieldred, yes, you do lose <laughs> That's life. That's pretty life. bad. <laughs> <laughs> Though, interestingly enough, this uh, black-white deck that got 25th place is playing for beautiful still <laughs> in their 22-land deck with uh, two colors. Oh, okay. So I don't know the wisdom of the four Bloodsuck Champion, four Hopeful Initiate, four Beautiful combo, but, you know. Yeah. It is a little more interesting direction to me than the Mono White deck. I, I don't know if it matches how consistent Mono White is for that trade-off. God, yeah. And I'm not the person to jam a bunch of games of human various human decks to figure that out 22 lands including four mutavolts in your two color deck that's bold it offends me that jaren corrupted bishop is in this uh sideboard because i don't want to read it oh i mean i know what that card does because of cube but <laughs> it makes a human i know that yeah i i feel like you can find better sideboard cards than jaren corrupted bishop so you don't need to read that card also, kind of side note, while we're talking about white creatures, I love Anointed Peacekeeper. I think the card is just, like, quite good. Mm -hmm. uh, there's been multiple times where I've seen it just kind of get someone when they have two copies of a card in their hands. <laughs> it's like, Elite Spellbinder would never. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's also pretty cool when you name something like Reckoner Binkbuster, where not only does it cost them more if they haven't played it yet, if they, like, if they haven't played it, and they want to pay four mana for it, and then all their activations cost two extra mana. It's just like such a whammy. It has been kind of annoying where Spellbinder wouldn't be as bad. Like they play it, and I have a Magma Opus, and I'm like, yeah, I can discard it. They can still name Magma Opus, and then it's like very cost four. difficult for me to. Oh yeah, yeah. So it would, it, yeah. If I still have, want to discard it, like that's not happening because that's an activated ability. But also, like I can't really gear Hulk it back and then cast it because it costs two more to cast, and so that's like mm -hmm. and and like Vanguard would not have caused that problem because if I could like discard it in response or it was already in my graveyard. Yeah, I actually really like Anointed Peace. I liked it when it was printed. It was one of the cards that from what Dominaria Remastered, I think, or Dominaria the new one. Yes, whatever United. United. Uh, that was one of the cards I really liked from that set. And I think it's it's kind of bore that out. I, I, I think that card's quite good. Yeah, yeah. Though, unfortunately, it does not really have, like... It's not headlining Pioneer, because the white creature decks are not like a great... They're just not in a good spot. Yeah, and I mean, a three-mana disruptive creature in Pioneer is not really, like... It's, it's hard to justify putting that into play a lot of the time. Yeah. Hey, but it's got those commander stats. It's 2C3-3. Yeah, perfect. I don't think it has that commander text though, really. Name I mean it's got four lines of text. I know, but it all is doing the same thing. And you never get two copies of the same card unless like both of your opponents two of your opponents have drawn the card that you have named. Fair. Alright, well we've I think we've talked for a while. Any 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 closing pioneer thoughts? So the the format is still hard to get a leg up in, I feel like. I think that you there's a list of decks that you can pick from and i would say mono green rakdos a version of creativity like lotus field i'll go ahead and put blue white control on the list even though i'm not like super into it um pick pick the one that fits with your play style and that you are interested in and do work 
get comfortable with the matchups, understand how you sideboard in each of the matchups, understand what kind of hands you can keep, how aggressively you're going to want to mulligan. And that's ultimately being good at playing the matchups is going to buy you a lot more percentage points than picking exactly the right deck for the weekend and like exactly the right like last slots or whatever the there is no substitute for a good gameplay and being just on point with the sequencing like the the more that i play with this deck the more i like know what to ignore what i need to kill like how can i keep this hand that's just like two magma opuses and you know one piece of interaction like is this a matchup where i'm just trying to like do a big magma opus turn a couple of turns down the line and and you start getting a feel for it and you start winning more games so pick a deck and work on it and i think that will serve you really well in this format yeah this is it's like the that age old question of you know you have a draft would you rather have the best deck at the table or play the best at the table yeah. and it's always play the best yeah and i i think playing well here is is key i've won a lot of matches where my opponent have has done some sort of sequencing that's like i don't think that's right because i could have this and then i have it and they die so th- th- figure out what your opponent is supposed to have at every point play accordingly and you'll do much much better yeah i'm, I'm cool i don't have anything uh, to add to that sage wisdom yeah. by you. <laughs> the sage wisdom of play good yeah i mean that's what people play pay all the big patreon bucks for i'm guessing yeah that that's <laughs> you can't find that anywhere else really yeah it, this is only from us <laughs> authentic <laughs> just a reminder to uh be good <laughs> Uh, as people have you know had cross stitchings up in their home get good scrub yeah it's really important this is a format that it's easy to make mistakes that cost you a lot because the three four and five minute spells that people punish you with uh end the game very quickly so don't leave yourself open to that get experience and yeah you'll be good i think that's it for us then yeah i mean Maybe we'll be better structured next week. It's hard to say. I don't know. We talked about a lot of good stuff here. A lot of commander content. We also at the spent beginning. twenty minutes <laughs> talking about commander. <laughs> yeah, that's how we weed the true believers from the casual listeners. Like, are they going to be able to get through the commander content? Let's find out. And it's not even commander content. Neither of us has played a game of commander in a decade, so. You know, it's just uh, like yeah, that might be accurate. It's it's just like commander adjacent content. Oh, oh, that's not true. I played maybe five years ago. I played a game of commander, mm. and I'm like, oh yeah, that's why I don't like commander. You've tarnished our record. Well, I had to remind myself. Like, you know, you have to try some stuff every now and then. You're like, I've enjoyed building commander decks. So I'll, I'll play this game, and then I borrowed a deck and played it. And I'm like, oh, my turn isn't coming to me back for like an hour and a half. I don't want to play this anymore <laughs> oh yeah all right well i think that's it for us really really appreciate y'all listening have a great week bye